Greetings, friends. Welcome to Building Tradition, where traditional building professionals tell their stories. History informs the future, and so do our guests. We are joined today by Peter Penoyer of Peter Penoyer Architects, a 50-person firm in New York with a second office in Miami, Florida. Peter's firm, which includes architects, conservators, historic preservationists, and interior designers, does a wide variety of work from country houses to city apartments to historic restoration of theaters and a signature clock design in New York's Moynihan train station. Peter's work has graced the pages of traditional building. He's listed on AD's 100 list with Ann Walker. He's co-authored 10 books about architecture, and he's a fellow of the American Institute of Architects. I could go on longer talking about Peter Penoyer's accomplishments as well as his accolades, but I'd rather just talk with Peter. Welcome, Peter Penoyer. Thank you, Pete. Glad to be here. By my count, you've written or co-authored or contributed to the publication of 10 books since you founded your firm, Peter Penoyer Architects, in 1990. So before asking you about your most recent book, I want to ask you about prior ones, the Delano and Aldrich book, the Grosvenor Atterbury book. What is it about these architects that inspired you to write books about them? Well... Delano Aldrich was the first book, and I was working on some restorations at one of his most beautiful buildings, the Knickerbocker Club on Fifth Avenue. Um, and the building super came to me with an amazing trove of drawings, which he'd found in the boiler room. And they were the original linen, uh, ink on linen drawings by Delano. Um, and this I found absolutely fascinating because um, there were different schemes for the building. Uh, the board chose the right one. So when I found these drawings, I told Bob Stern about this, and he challenged me to write a book about Delano and Aldrich. Uh, so that's where it all started. Their style was incredibly elegant um, and in some way defies stylistic labels. It, and, and it was, I'd say, a, a, a sort of a, a break from the very elaborate architecture, um, sort of French-influenced Beaux-Arts architecture of the preceding generation. I seem to remember going to your book talk on that book years ago and recall that Delano and Aldrich did a fair amount of work on the Gold Coast north of Chicago. Uh, yes, they've had, they had houses, some houses all over the country. Uh, they even did an exquisite building in Paris, um, which is uh, the American uh, embassy uh, at the edge of Place de la Concorde. So they uh, they had a wide and, and, and varied practice. Um, at the end of their careers, uh, Delano even consulted on the design of uh, what is now JFK Airport and designed the Marine Air Terminal, which is the oldest part of LaGuardia Airport. So they had a long and varied career. I love the Marine Terminal, taking the ferry down to Midtown. So I read um, a quote from you, Peter, uh, that goes like this. We eschew potted history. What exactly is potted history? Uh, so, Pete, potted history is the simple version um, of a style, architectural style, something you could pick up from a pattern book, um, something that would you know, pop up on a Google search at your first try. Um, so what we try to do is challenge ourselves by going into historical architecture more deeply. Um, and it's enriching and it's challenging. 
Um, and it also really is humbling because when you uh, try to, um, you know, use these deeper sources uh, and, you know, complex, beautiful buildings to inspire your work, it's very humbling because you quickly realize that pro the draftsman, maybe even the lowliest draftsman at McKimmie White in 1900 probably could do this uh, much more easily than we can today. Is the same person doing the research also doing the designing? Um, yes. So we have designers in the office, um, and the most important designer here is uh, my friend and partner, Gregory Gilmartin, who has worked with me um, since he was, you know, it's been 40 years. <laughs> and he is a great historian and bibliophile, um, and he's an example of someone who can absorb um, the lessons of history and then draw from his own interpretation without, uh, you know, looking at the book, so to speak, without copying from a pattern book. And, right. and so he is both reading the books and drawing. And drawing. And traveling. And so we, we take trips together too. We've always done that. Um, and that's so important in our practice. Fun. You and your firm have a, a diverse portfolio of work from townhouses to apartment buildings, country houses to island retreats. And now I see you're working on the historic restoration of the Guild Hall in the New York Hamptons. How did this diversity of your work of building types evolve over time in your practice? Well, you know, we started, uh, I think as many New York architects did, um, as a young practice looking mostly at interior architecture. Um, but we were lucky enough through relationships um, to have clients trust us with larger projects. Uh, so one of the first projects was doing uh, a bathroom and dressing room, if you can believe it. And that led to a relationship that led us to uh, renovating an entire hotel at 77th Street um, and uh, Madison Avenue in New York, which is then called the Hyde Park Hotel, and now is known as the Mark. So it was often um, relationships, uh, relationships with clients, relationships with designers, um, and, and often uh, with artists. I've stayed at the Mark. I had a feeling you might have designed that bathroom. Okay, well, it, it has been, our, our version of it lasted a very long time. We converted it from apartments essentially into a hotel, but more recently it's been uh, renovated, restored, redecorated by Jacques Grange, uh, the Paris-based designer. Great location too. Um, yeah. Well, speaking of, of the work you've done in New York, you've designed some important things there including the Moynihan clock and the Benson apartments, which are jazz age inspired. Do you have a particular penchant for the architecture of the jazz age or call it art deco, or is this just what's contextual where you build? I, I think both of those projects are in a style that's contextual. Um, uh, you know, New York apartment houses of the 1920s and there's some in the neighborhood of the Benson uh, we're often Art Deco, if you call it that. Um, in our office, we prefer to call it modern classicism. Um, and it's, you know, classicism, I don't know, we could call it on a diet. It's more spare, it's more pared down. Um, and, and it's a style that, that we love here. Um, and we think it's very appropriate for New York. Now, somebody asked me if you were designing 
skyscrapers or high-rise buildings. And I said, well, the Benson doesn't look like a skyscraper to me. How many stories is the Benson? Yeah, so our projects of that type are really 16 to 18 stories. Um, we have one on the boards that's 20 stories. Uh, so I don't think in New York those count as skyscrapers. No. I, I, think you, I think you have to go to 40, 50, or 60 probably. Um, they're certainly not in the league of um, the uh, Ramsa uh, Towers, which are you know substantially taller. Is the Benson limestone construction? It, yes. All of the facades are, except in the back, uh, Indiana limestone. It's gorgeous. I also noticed that you designed beautiful decorative metal for balconies, for staircase railings. What inspires this? You know, uh, the, the metalwork is such an important part of uh, New York architecture, especially when you get multi-story facades. Um, it's important as it's often used in spandrels, which is the panel between the window head and the sill above. Uh, it's often used as balconies. The balconies add scale and interest um, to the facades you know, as do the railings on the insides of apartments. And we think it's really important to bring the detail of our designs down to the human scale. Um, so, you know, to not only think about the larger composition, um, but bring some, you know, delightful details down to a scale that people can appreciate. I'm, I'm delighted by what I, what I see there. Now, I have my own penchant for English arts and crafts, which is why I was drawn to your work and the Chagrin Valley of Ohio, where you designed a country house in this style. But then I looked at the photos of the interior of this house, and I saw more neoclassical. So do you often switch up styles and periods from the outside in? I'd say that, that may have started uh, because we do so much interior architecture in New York. Um, and also we've seen um, with many of the architects we've written about that uh, the character of rooms can be, um, you know, somewhat different from the character of the outside, although related. Um, and, and so uh, in that house, um, I also think that the style of the house is influenced by our collaboration with the designer, Miles Red. Um, and, and frankly, from the talents of the, the design team on it, which included a remarkable architect named Anton Gleeken, uh, who just revels in, you know, the sort of full-scale voluptuous moldings and brackets and consoles and balconies. Um, you know, Anton just loved that kind of thing. So, yes, uh, it, it is much more classical on the inside than it appears to be on the outside. I also um, enjoy designing houses that uh, are quieter uh, on the outside um, in a way more modest um, and, and reserve um, you know, some of the exuberant classicism for, for certain rooms. Well, I loved the, the surprise and the variety of it. Um, so this particular house is featured in your new book, City Country, uh, written about your firm's work by Ann Walker, with a foreword by you. And of course, Ann is someone on your team who you've co-authored several books. So tell me about your new book. Um, so our new book looks at um, a variety of projects, um, apartments, um, uh, townhouses, uh, and some of them are small and some of them are more complicated. We also have two apartment buildings in the book, um, and then it has a, a catalog of, of other projects at the back represented by, you know, thumbnail uh, drawings and, port and photographs. 
even building, even projects that weren't built, uh, we included because we think those can be interesting. We did spend a lot of time and care on uh, drawing plans for every single project um, so that architects looking at them and sometimes uh, people who aren't trained uh, could appreciate how the plan related, um, you know, to the photographs. Um, we think it's really an important thing, especially to understand elements that are more complicated, like our stairs. And the book is out now, so I can buy it and read it. I've only read about it so far. Yes, the book is out. Um, we had our first um, book signing at Waterworks uh, uh, this week, and um, we are sending it out to clients, and we're sending it out to the designers we work with, and um, you know, we'll 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 send you one. Excellent. I'll review it for traditional building. So, Peter, you and I share a common goal um, to embrace, appreciate, understand, and teach the classical language in traditional design, especially to our next generation of building design and interiors professionals. So why should anyone but us care about this? And what advice do you give architecture and art students and emerging professionals? Uh, you know, I think to start with the second question that I think it's really important if you're studying architecture to immerse yourself in the beauty of uh, the great architects who've preceded you um, and not put yourself in the, in the untenable position of imagining that you're going to be, you know, a singular design genius and come up with, you know, totally unique ideas. Um, I think it's really worth having both uh, a path of, of, of curiosity and humility and curiosity about architecture will lead you to uh, the classical language, which is, you know, the language of the Western uh, world and, and, and is absolutely uh, malleable and ever evolving. It's a living language. Um, and so I think if you're, if you want to immerse yourself in beauty, I think this is a path that will lead to, um, it, it will lead to challenges, but I think it's very rewarding. It also is a path that allows you to grow over time. Um, every experience of the building builds on the last one. So it's, it's a wonderful path to, to, to professional growth. Why do you think architecture schools aren't better about teaching the classical language? Uh, I mean, I think today architecture schools have concerns that are important to all of us, sustainability, uh, accessibility, diversity, uh, and, and, and I think everyone shares concerns about these issues, but um, I, I think architecture schools it, it sometimes displace the focus on design by uh, focusing on other issues, even political issues. So, um, you know, I'm not sure how much space they have uh, for this kind of study, uh, but, but it's, it's, it's open to everyone. It's available. Agreed. I tell people... Um... The best way to learn a Romance language is to start by taking Latin, which gives you that foundation. Right. It's a wonderful thing, and it's just ever-enriching. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's fascinating to see, you know, look at a building by Lutyens, then look at a building by Charles Platt. You can follow the path of architecture uh, and as it sparked people's imaginations. Yeah, so it's a wonderful paradigm, and... Uh, one of my favorite uh, Greek sort of Egyptian revival buildings downtown in New York um, was uh, built by an American architect who 
was inspired by a Scottish architect who was looking at an American pattern book. Um, <laughs> so this is sort of a community of, of ideas about beauty uh, that we can all share. Well put. Well put. This has been fun, Peter. Thank you so much for joining us today. Great. Well, thank you, Pete. I'm Pete Miller, and you're listening to Building Tradition, brought to you by Traditional Building Magazine. Building Tradition is produced by Ann White with technical assistance from Nate Gruca. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm.